0: Back to another episode of One Penny at a Time. I'm your host, Harris Elliott. Today we have another exciting guest on our podcast. This one's going to be a great one, and I probably have a list of like 60,000 questions I want to ask this individual. This is the first time we have somebody in the podcast who has reached financial freedom. I want everybody to meet the saving captain, Mr. Tom. Tom, how are you
1: doing? Harris, thanks a lot. I hope you don't ask 60,000 questions. I'd be glad to answer them, but I probably have like 10 or 12 answers to anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I promise. Um, I think if I ask
0: 60,000 questions, I don't think the file is actually even going to be large enough. It's going to be too large to upload this into the podcast platform. So, hey, Tom, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And congratulations on month four of Hitting Freedom. How's it? How does it feel
1: to do what you want when you want? I'll tell you what, it, I'll give you an example. I'll tell you a quick story on it. So it's it's cool. It's really cool. But first, hey, I love listening to your podcast every week, hearing your week by week journey. It's just so inspiring and, coverage and encouraging. Kind of reminds me of like when I was way back when on my journey and stuff like that. But it's cool, man. It's cool to be time. It, it's really more cool to be time free than I think financially free. That's awesome, Tom. And thank you so much for
0: tuning into the podcast. That means a lot to me coming from you for, you know, you've been doing this for 30 plus years. Is that correct?
1: I have, I have, you know, a big, a big, um, (laughs) before I became free, I was in the financial services industry for 32 years, you know, pretty intense, pretty time, heavy time commitment, stuff like that. But like, when you asked me to be on this podcast a while ago, it, it didn't matter like what day or the cool part about it is it didn't matter what day or time you wanted to meet with me because my schedule, you know, it, it goes around what I want to do now. Four months ago, it would have been a different story. You and I probably would have been trading back dates and times for weeks to try to find a common space. That's a, that's a cool thing, man. I remember that. And when I tell you
0: that you literally goes, um, open book, tell me what works for you and I will make it happen. And, I think that's the best thing about this for me. Luckily, today was the day that worked because um, I start my new promotion on Monday, and I actually have P- I put it took a PTO day today, so like ooh, I actually have a Friday open, so let me get this in before the weekend hits. So I can't wait to get to that point where it's like I can look at my calendar and just see nothing on there. Like, all right, why why not? So we'll get there one day though. So Tom, I gotta ask you before we get into like your investing journey, a very important life de- life or death question. Have you set an alarm clock since you started Financial Freedom?
1: No. No alarm clock. No more waking up at the butt crack of dawn. No. And guess what? what? I wake Most mornings I wake up as early or earlier than I did when I was doing my nine to five. Isn't that crazy? Because it's like.
0: That's crazy. But I'm sure though, you wake up and the birds are chirping, you're stretching and you're happy. It's like, And it's like, okay, let's just have a great day. It's instead of the, here's another day of another day in the drag, right? Exactly, awesome, Tom. So let's go back here. Um, you said you you've been in financial services for thirty two years. Um, I'm assuming um that's what you majored in in college, is some 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 type of in the financial branch. And then you kind of tell me about how that started off for you.
1: Yeah, I did. You know, I, I got into it. I didn't think that I would work in financial services, working with individual clients for thirty two years. I kind of backed into it after college, a couple of buddies and I started at a brokerage firm. It was almost like, uh, if anyone's ever seen the movie Wolf of wall street, it was almost a firm like that spent six months there to get my license. It was more of the R rated version, but it was the <laughs> same, same damn thing. But you know, just like anything, you got to get your starts somewhere and get your feet wet. So I did that. And especially early on, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I want to let you know, and hopefully your audience know, the last <laughs> thing I want to project is you got to be perfect with your money. And if you're not, you're like banished and alienated from ever being <laughs> successful with money. Cause I'll tell you, I have a degree, I have 32 years experience an MBA and I'm a certified financial planner, but I don't say that to be boastful. I say that too. You can still make mistakes. You will make mistakes with your money. You're, you're paying a tuition in financial literacy. But overcoming that, you know, you you can set yourself free quite well. No, absolutely,
0: Tom. And
1: one of the best things that I feel like with anything,
0: and this is not just in financial, this is in life. We're all going to have our mess ups. We're all going to have our hiccups. The thing you always have to teach yourself from that is, what did I learn from this? And what what can I do to not repeat this? And as long as you get something out of it, you still get, obviously you get the smack in the face and tuition into the market, but you learn a lesson and then probably if you make that big boo-boo, it's probably I'm never doing that again. So I feel like that's what's the most important thing you can get out of this.
1: I would agree with that.
0: Awesome, Tom. So perfect. So you started off um, small little office, kind of like in the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, Back then when you were doing your, when you're working in a brokerage firm, were you doing the penny stocks or was it like, you know, like just mutual funds, indexing funds for like, what was the route that you started with?
1: So the firm I started with, uh, it was primarily what you would call penny stocks. That right. was only six months. So, um, you, you know, I did have to get the experience. That was essentially the way in the door. And I built up a little bit of a book of business and then went on to a much bigger firm for a few years. But Harris, what I held on to, mm-hmm. um, I didn't adopt kind of like what we talk a lot about on you know, this podcast and, and Twitter, I didn't gravitate to well, there were no ETFs back then. This was mutual mm-hmm. fund only. Mm-hmm. I didn't gravitate to dividend stocks. I thought those were why would I why would I ever why would I have a client invest in something that pays three percent when I'm gonna double their money and <laughs> wow. So I held on to that mindset quite a bit during my career working with clients and then to a great extent um, with any any money I invested on the side. And thank God I always had um, a 401k and money going into it because that was the difference maker of maybe helping me overcome some of my early stupidity and learning.
0: That's amazing, Tom. And kind of a sidetrack question, but I remember in the Wolf of Wall Street, um, the the famous scene where Leo sells, I think it was like $8,000 worth of penny stock to somebody who read it off a an ad off like a hustler magazine. Was that actually the case back in the day? Were those ads for that in like, yes. new, like the naughty magazines?
1: Uh, well, it could be naughty magazines. It could be anything. So the way you would, customer acquisition was completely then different than it was picking up the <laughs> phone or buying lists of people you know list brokers that was an actual <laughs> business you would get paper lists of people that invested and and you would just call them up and uh you know those were impulsive people that were willing to take uh take a little bit of risk with their money so yeah that not too far fetched
0: <laughs> wow that's amazing So awesome, Tom. So, and this is, well, this is around the nineties, right? Right right now we're kind of where we're talking about right now.
1: Yeah. So this is circa we're beginning 1991, let's call it. Awesome. So in the nineties, so your your investing philosophy is completely different
0: than where it's at now. You're probably more, more risk, uh, higher risk, you know, 2X, 3X, 10X stocks. Um, What was it or what moment can you recall that helped that changed your philosophy and, Involved you as an investor.
1: Um, It's funny. I sent a tweet out yesterday or the day before (laughs) long-term. Around long-term investing in general. Uh That uh, How I kind of got. Came across and discovered long-term investing. That you know long-term. And I didn't find long-term investing. It found me. It was a change in lifestyle. So how that happened Harris. Kind of accident by design. It didn't. There wasn't a switch that flipped overnight. Sometimes you have to learn at your own pace. So now we can move forward from like '91 to like 2000, 2001. Um, I, I think I moved from being a boy to a man. Uh, my daughter was born. Okay. Every everything changes when you have a child. That's one of the. That's the number one thing my father has always told
0: me. The day you have a child, everything changes in life.
1: Everything changes. You feel, you know, you feel you got to protect a little bit more. You know, there's just some modifications you make to all parts of your life. And the same was true with my investing. So during that decade, 91-ish to 2000, you know, I, I was always investing in my 401k, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. And that was starting to build up pretty good. During the 90s, the market was fantastic. So, you uh, you know, it was, it was rewarding enough and I could see real money starting to stack up. All right. But on the side, I was still playing with stocks. I'm like, what's the next $3 stock that's going to go to 18 in six months? Let's jump on that. But I switched. That's amazing. Um, um Was
0: it, I know we're in 2000, 2001, besides your daughter, you know, obviously your daughter being born, how much did the dot-com bubble have a big impact on changing your philosophy there?
1: It did a little bit. I didn't get caught up by the dot-com bubble. I was kind of breaking away from all the go-go stocks at that time. I remember I had a client, it must've been about 98-ish. And Harris, this is when stocks would, like obscure stocks literally would double overnight or in a week's time. All they would do is change their company name to, um, let's say you were a company and you were Harris Hel- Harris Elliott Industries. If you just put harriselliot.com on your company name, that. it would blow up. No change in the business model. Yeah. And I had a client leave me over that because I was only um generating him like a 25% return. It wasn't enough. Uh,
0: twenty if if you got me a twenty-five percent return this year, I'm gonna
1: buy you the biggest margarita possible. <laughs> I'd I'd I'd, <laughs> I'd I'd take it, I'd take it if that yeah. I mean, if any of us could get a a twenty five percent return without taking excessive risk—that'd be great. But you know, it, 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 it kind of—it was so unreal. And I would say, during the thirty two years I've been around the market, I would say that period of time was—I um, know we've had a couple of easy money periods. You know, we're just coming through one. But I would say that dot com era, just before everything burst, was probably the most euphoric. Wow. And
0: then also, I mean, you can tell me this, right? We're talking about like, you used, you used like the example of the company change. Back then, there'd be what? Diapers.com, dogpoop.com, trashbag.com. And if it had a ticker, anybody would go crazy at it back then. That's kind of was like the like the vibe with it. It's how it worked.
1: Herd mentality at its best. And you know what's crazy? And I'm
0: very fortunate where what we have available as do-it-yourself investors today, back then... I'm sure that there were stock minimums to buy and plus the fees there on top of that. So to really buy into this, you're taking a hit off the off the get-go before anything even happens. So it's a very different time.
1: No, you're right. So mm-hmm. discount brokerage and online trading was in its infancy, but an in online trade, I, I think the market, the common market rate was still about thirty dollars on each side of the trade.
0: Wow. That's insane. Imagine today, like, I I think I remember what I did. I think somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who their name was. They were retired too. And it goes, you're so lucky that you can just put $5 into the stock with no penalty or no thought process. And that's, that's the beauty of technology and how time advances now it's like anybody and everybody can have an opportunity in the market. And that's what the, the beauty of this is. And this is why we do what we do is to help Everybody to get that little bit of the sweet, you know, that sweet of the apple pie.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: So let's go there back to two thousand. A little bit sidetracked a little bit with the diapers.com. I apologize. Diapers dot com was a big <laughs> thing back then. So I know that you. I think you had mentioned to me um, when we, we we've talked briefly that in the early two thousands, um I am assuming this is probably when your when your daughter was a child. You bought her a bunch of Coke stock. Is that correct?
1: I did. I did. So there were two things I immediately did um, right after she was born. I opened up a 529 account for her. And then right behind that, I started, I wanted to buy her, start buying her stock. And the one stock I bought her was Coca-Cola. And I wouldn't say I bought it a bunch, you know, Mm -hmm. I bought it at $50 at a time. I mean, back then, I mean, that's still a decent amount. I mean, I,
0: I don't know what the stock price was for Coke in the early two thousands, but I know in like eighty seven or eighty
1: eight, it was like less than two dollars a share. So split adjusted, that's right. And uh, you know, now she would just start out like we talk about getting a couple dollars every quarter in a dividend. Now the Let's, you know, the the boring stuff. Let's go with the boring stuff that we love. Just <laughs> she, go for that. And she gets every quarter, she gets two shares. She still has it. The account still reinvest it and gets two shares of Coca Cola stock just for doing nothing every month. So that's currently right now. So right now she's dripping
0: two free share. Well, not free, but like two, she accumulates two shares every payout.
1: That is correct. Right. Yeah.
0: That is amazing.
1: In college, <laughs> there was a couple of enablers that started happening then. That was that was like a turning point. That's why I'm saying. this. The switch didn't flip for me overnight. Like some people, it just happens. So mine was more gradual. There was a gradient to the whole thing. You know, I was still trading a few stocks on the side, but you know, Mm my 401k was building up. I was looking after my daughter starting to get better savings habits on hand. You know, I had to learn things. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to actually apply the rules I knew to me, not just to other people. I think that was the bigger thing. That's the biggest thing you have to, you have to wake up and recognize. That's amazing. So uh, other than Coca-Cola,
0: um, What else did you, did you get your daughter into any like mutual funds or anything like that? Or did you just kind of keep it pretty simple for her?
1: Pretty simple, just a 529 plan, very focused and concentrated. You know, the thinking was wanted to create the objective. Uh, I mean, college debt wasn't, wasn't cool 20 years ago, like the way it is now. And I mean, cool in a, you know, kind of a crappy way. It's headline stuff now, but, you know, had the foresight just to put Again, $50, $100, just put something in every month, a part of a bonus, things like that. And because there was a 20-year time horizon, I didn't want to sacrifice my retirement savings, but I could Mm -hmm. still balance both. So the two things I focused on her with my daughter was the Coca-Cola stock and the 529. And she, I am pleased to say, after this week has just finished up exams and now she is a junior Halfway through college is halfway paid for, and gonna get out debt free, with a little bit of money on her side. And the kid is working two jobs this summer. She's gonna hustle herself and build up a little bit next day and reserve over the summer.
0: That's amazing, Tom. And I'm sure with you know with her driving her hustle, I'm sure you get that one that proud papa bear tear moment. And you know and you know and. (laughs) To be for anybody to be able to graduate debt free, that is literally hitting a grand slam in the World Series game seven, two outs moment. I'm still d- tackling my student debt. I try not to think about it, but it'll go away like, by me it making will. my payments one day. You know, it will. <laughs> um, awesome, Tom. So now we're in the 2000s. I want to talk about what were some fa- really like backbone foundational pieces that really helped. Your portfolio, side of your four hundred one k, can you name a couple of them? And are they still a part of your investing plan and journey right now?
1: Sure. Um, so it, it's going to be kind of boring how it started early two thousands. It was pretty much, it was pretty much index funds. I'm sorry, I don't have anything more exciting. That was, that was. I'm mad.
0: gonna, I'm gonna quote something from some. Um one of uh from somebody from Twitter had posted this, and I've been using this with people. Have you ever heard of the kiss method? Yeah, keep it simple, stupid, or something like that. keep it stupid, simple yeah um it works, it's boring, but it works so hey, it's good. I mean that just shows there that you literally did something that's boring, but look at you now um so essentially you just did you just straight up indexed it and
1: kept it simple, said and forget essentially. I did. So there's a good reason why I started indexing a little bit more uh, and bigger companies. So it was 2000 and I had started with a company I'm proud to have on my resume for 14 years. I started with Vanguard. I know that's loved by a lot of people in our community. And mm-hmm. I was heading up the brokerage group in, uh, in Charlotte. Got the opportunity to start that up. And, uh, you know, based on that position, being in the right place at the right time, um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't say I was a personal friend of John Bogle's, but I did get to interface with him quite frequently when the legend himself and those that don't know John Bogle, he was the infamous founder of Vanguard and indexing as we know it. Right. So I had the chance to interface with him and read his books. Um, you know, talk with him one on one, and you, at the time I knew it was amazing, and he was remarkable. But as time has gone by, you know, just hit the legend lives on, and I, I savor those moments. So it was kind of hard to not have that. You know, think about it. I've had a, a decade under my belt investing in a four hundred one k large mutual funds, index funds. And now I'm starting to see, you know, you, you crack that. I remember that first day a balance hit $100,000. You feel like, wait till there's one more zero on it. You know, just put one more comma in there, one more zero. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's amazing. And then if I'm not mistaken, you have a signed book by, by Bogle, right? I do. Um, I have that's awesome. That was a great moment and great memory.
0: That's awesome. And I think if you can correct me, I think Charlie Munger is the one who said this, the first 100,000 is the biggest bitch to get to. And then after that, it's a piece of cake.
1: It is. That's,
0: he, he said that <laughs> quote. That's awesome. So perfect. So for the 2000s and 2010s, you just kept it indexing 401k into whatever funds. Did you ever add any individual stocks to that or just yeah. really kept it stupid simple?
1: I did. So there were a couple of other dividend reinvestment plans I started. One was Duke Energy. So that was a local utility provider. Um, I would play a game like my power bill was $112 for the month. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Back in the day, you wrote out checks. I wrote out a check for $112 to the Duke Energy dividend paying. So I paid them and I paid me too. I did that for a number of years too and let that build up. And one other I started with earlier that sometimes I forget about until it pays a dividend is Walmart.
0: Wow. That's a so point. that's amazing. Um, and I know obviously Duke Energy, it's the, if I'm not mistaken, either the one largest or one of the largest uh, energy companies in the East coast of the U.S. I remember when I used to live in Florida, I'd have to pay them my monthly bill. And you're in uh, North Carolina, right?
1: Correct, yeah.
0: So Duke's a big player in the whole East Coast. And, you know, that boring company, I mean, they're obviously regulated, so you know it's not going to be a home run stock. But, you know, with consistency, you know what you're getting and you never have to really fret about it. And I'm sure that alone, your peace of mind, sleep well at night is perfect.
1: But you know what happened, Harris? I couldn't live on peace of mind alone. You know what I had to do? What did you do? I had to come up with my own investing strategy, so I had to still reach back to what I was doing in the 90s and you know, try to trade stocks and find stocks. And I'll tell you about a method I used, and I don't recommend it because it created a lot of heartache, but essentially I would find a low pr- price stock mm-hmm. that had a very small float, so there's not much stock available, and it just became mm-hmm. a supply and demand thing. Um, so you might get in when it's $3 a share, there's only 10 million shares traded and you're just waiting, waiting for, um, something to happen, a news event that takes it away, but you have to get out of it generally before the barn door closes. Cause you're, you're going to get stuck holding it long-term. And I did that. And the worst thing that ever happened to me, I was, was, I was actually successful doing it a few times. Um any holdings that you can recall were successful with this? One I do. Um some people might know the name still. One of them was a company called Jones Soda, symbol JSDA. Uh trades on Canadian and the US Exchange. So that story is that the, is that the Seattle-based
0: soda company? It is. I only reason why I know what that is, um uh back when I was a teenager, I used to watch a lot of documentaries. And they were talking about football stadiums. And Jones was the official soda for the Seahawks in the
1: 2000s. The only reason why I know what that is. That's that's right. And this Jones had a little bit of a – had their heyday, their moment in the sun for a couple just that time when I was <laughs> – I mean, it ended up working good. And I think I ended up buying a lot of shares. I mean a lot. Thousands of shares at a dollar. And don't you know that damn thing went to – I can't remember where I punched out. It was somewhere between thirty-one or thirty-four dollars per share. Uh, that, that's that's incredible. I mean, paid for my private school, paid for my daughter's private school tuition with that. So what I'm saying is, um, it creates this. I, sometimes I see it out in the Twitterverse and what we read in media online. Mm-hmm. Oh, these people have being successful trading crypto. I'm not against crypto. People are just day trading, making their success. It's like, you have to recognize when you're investing for your retirement, you're investing for 40 years. I tip my cap to anyone that could actually make it day trading their way all the way to retirement. But I'm telling you, I have never seen it done. I have not ever seen a person do it over a course of a long period of time. The 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 anguish it
0: takes. So in crypto, I own and I I've, I think I mentioned a couple in the podcast. I I did it one time. I was successful. Um, it's when Shiba Inu was before it blew up. So let me get to this. Uh, it, it blew up in September, October. I had bought hundred dollars worth in the July. Because my friend told me, hey, look, this was listed on Coinbase. And I I wanted to prove a point to him. He goes, because I was not really into crypto. I go, you know what? I'm going to put $100 into this to see if this stupid dog coin explodes. That was the investing theory. It went from $100 to $1,200. Oh, wow. Here's the thing, though. I was like, that time I held it until I sold it off. I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning to check my phone to see what the price was at, and I did that so many times. And my my, you know, by the time she was my girlfriend, now my spouse, she was like, "You need to stop checking that stupid dog coin." And it was it it was unhealthy, <laughs> and the, I feel like if I was to do day trading and do that, it's good. It it the mental health aspect of it was not for me. Successful, great, but I can't do it. I can't, it's too much, it's too much going on. And for me, the set forget just how ha- this is the block of what I like to invest in. Keep it stupid, simple. You know, it's, I don't know, like for me, day trading, I don't, I, I, I don't think I'd be able to do it to be honest.
1: Do you, so that's a good point. Sometimes I would ask people to day trade and do stuff like this. So you had that early success with that meme coin there, that all, yeah. whatever. You made a lot of money. You didn't get addicted to it. Do you think if you were still doing that, do you think it would have held you back, not just socially with, with your wife? Do you think it would have held you back professionally because your your mind would have been so uh, on other things? Like would have held you back? So
0: for me, I don't, I career-wise, I think that would have been untouched. But I think though, with my relationships and that would have been affected. Um. Uh, I think that would have totally been affected, but then also I don't think we would have been talking today because mm. what if I would have done that for a year and then I would have lost a lot of money because we all know, and I sold out in twenty end of 2021 or early 2022. I can't remember. It was, I can't remember when I sold it, but it was a pretty good run. 2022 was literally if I had to get in the ring with Mike Tyson and do 12 rounds, I would have not made it out alive. And who knows if I would have been disgusted with an investing and wanted to continue doing it. And I maybe
1: would have never done this. So that's how I look at it as interesting. That's, I always, that's kind of what I was feeling too. And I've kind of observed that with other people eventually, eventually um, what pride comes before the fall. They say you get all proud, your day trader, Then you fall, and then then you have to recognize you're just going to just fall away. You're not going to invest. You're not going to – it's going to hurt you more in the long run.
0: Yes. I can't remember if this was you that I talked about this with. Were you the one who had a Mike Tyson story?
1: I was not, but I am – oh, I I actually, I do have a Mike Tyson story. Your Mike Tyson story reminded me – of my story of mike tyson i think i know where you're going with it okay got you okay that's what i thought it
0: was i i i, I, I thought it was you that we had talked about it because i remember i did a mike tyson reference some episodes back about if he would have just invested a small portion of his fortune he'd still be fine yeah. oh wow no that, okay i thought I, I thought for some reason like wait did you did, did you go gambling in vegas with mike tyson or something because i would that would have been great to hear
1: <laughs> no but you know what i did meet mike tyson after he lost his fortune Do you remember when Mike Tyson was, um, he was performing? I can't remember what it was now. It was a Broadway play. I can't remember, but I know, I think it was like the mid-2000s where he lost everything, give or take, right? Well, then he had to do a, I guess he didn't have to do it, but I'm sure losing all the money made it a necessity. He ended up uh, performing in a Broadway play. I was in in new york with family we were breezing through the ritz carlton down on uh, down the battery and there's your boy mike tyson you can't miss him coming in through the lobby he, he had set up residency there because you know mm. he was performing for like several months in that play but yeah he was and i the same thing went through my mind it was like i knew he had lost a lot of money he was stupid with it never knew how much i'm like man that could that's guy could have been like one of the, you know, you hear Michael Jordan. It's something like he's made $42 million or something like that playing basketball. But since then he's made, my numbers might be off a half a billion dollars since he's not played. It's ridiculous. And
0: obviously in this generation now, we're going to see that with, I mean, obviously LeBron James has made a lot more money than Michael Jordan playing wise, but LeBron's endorsements, you hear people like Rob Gronkowski and Marshawn Lynch who literally have not touched a single dollar of their game checks and only live off endorsements. It's crazy. It's amazing. You know, it is. So Tom, I want to ask you now the best questions here. You reached freedom. What was it like the last time you had a punch out? And I want to ask you questions about how's it been living on your time, your rules? Nobody gets to tell you what to do anymore. How was it punching your for your very last time?
1: You know, it didn't happen overnight. I didn't do anything, but I didn't make this decision in a, in a vacuum or just overnight. Mm -hmm. It really was about four, well, about six years ago. You know, I started thinking like once my daughter got into high school, we started thinking my wife and I'm actually gonna have to do this gig forever. By then it was, you know, I guess I was hitting the 26 year mark and, Mm -hmm. you know, it gets to be a certain level of, uh, freedom or futility, it's a freedom versus futility thing. It's like, you know, how much longer are I going to continue doing this? So the plan was get her through high school, keep stability, you know, get her most of the way through college and look for the time to go. And it just felt like the right time. So although it happened suddenly, it really took a few, it took a few years to just start recognizing, I would say before the last several months I can't remember if it was a year or six months, even with my nine to five or job, I, w- I woke up, uh, recognizing even when I was on the job, enjoy every minute. Cause it's not going to be much. There's probably not much more. This is going to happen soon. So I probably ironically got as much jo- enjoyment at the end. It wasn't like I was going home miserable every day, but the other part of your question, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, um, I still never know what day of the week it is. i'm not kidding harris last week i think it was last week on tuesday i thought it was wednesday on wednesday (laughs) i thought it was wednesday and on thursday i had three wednesdays and thursday i (laughs) thought it was wednesday keeping track what the rest of society moves on that's been harder to adapt to um but it was pretty pretty good in that sense that's awesome so right now
0: Um, I know we talked, we, we, we talked about, so you're not like fully, I mean, you're obviously in freedom, but you also, you do side gigs where you make money. So tell me about that. Um, What does that do for you? And what's the, you know, I guess, what's the driver purpose for you with like having to still do so, you know, doing side gigs and not, not that you have to, you want to, and that's the big
1: thing, right? I want to, and I think you should do. Um, So I'm only 54. My problem is, I don't know how I, the only thing I can't answer is I don't know how long I'm going to live. And I don't know how long Trisha is going to live. Uh, she's my wife. She mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? She's got better genes than I do. Her family tends to clock <laughs> clock well into <laughs> their 90s. So, sure, I could go ahead and uh, travel the world now if I wanted to. I think you'd really the thing, the biggest risk. You know, I was 20 or 30, the biggest risk was not starting, not investing, not saving. I think for a lot of people, unless you have well north of $10 million and you retire in your 50s, you could deplete your savings sooner than your investment, sooner than you want. And now you're in the worst position. Now you're much older. Now you either maybe can't go to work or you have to, have to go to work just to keep the lights on. So at 54, I'm healthy. I'm energetic. I do a side hustle that about 20 hours a week for a major company. Just guest services, sell a few things. I get, I wouldn't say it's a full-time salary. I get paid pretty well to do it. I work when I want. And I the best thing about it, Harris, this was the hardest part of the equation to solve for. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I it got solved for me. I get health insurance. That's a big thing. And I know
0: that that is one of the things people don't account for when they get to that point, because health insurance outside of your job benefit is expensive.
1: (laughs) Yep. I just, um, those are big things that it's hard for the human, it's hard for the human mind to factor Uh, You get normalcy bias after a while. Well, I've always been healthy. Things are going to keep cracking along. But you get 50, 55, 60, you get an event. And that can really sink a ship pretty quickly. So the last thing I want to do is truly deplete savings. Um, I want to enjoy my time. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Oh, and then I'll do something beneath myself. And I've done this for a while. And this helped build up a really nice cash reserve. I'll do things like DoorDash. And kind okay. of mock. I'd rather be on. I've always said I'd rather be on this side of the delivery bag mm-hmm. because I'm getting the cash money instead of spending it. Where I see, pull them to this house and I'm thinking, good God, they got three kids. Not to be judgmental, they got them a $70,000 SUV. Oh, they got, you can see they got every, you know, they got everything on payments. And I'm thinking, it's just not. I made those Mm -hmm. mistakes. I'm not going to project myself as being perfect. I had credit card debt at one time, thinking I could out earn it. I could still invest simultaneously and out earn credit card debt. And it was brutal. Agreed.
0: So for you right now, so you have, you're doing major work for a big company and then you'll do DoorDash on the side. So for you, it's like, you can, you just be like, you know what? I don't feel it today. I want to go, I want to go to the dog park with my dog. We got a shout out radish. A uh, radish is your dog. And one of the funniest posts you ever did was trying to teach radish about, uh, I think delayed gratification with the treats. It's one of my favorite posts you ever made.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: But you have, you don't have to, you want to. And that is, I think for you is the biggest thing for your mental health or for, you know, just whatever you want to do. Like you, if you're like, you know what? I want to do 40 hours this week because I'm bored. You could like next week. I don't want to do any. You can. And that's, I think that's what the thing for you is
1: you get to really control fully what you want to do. Absolutely. Um, That was my Monday. You ever have a Monday where you get up and you don't feel like doing it? Yep. That's what I did Monday. I didn't do anything.
0: <laughs> that's amazing, Tom. And I think one thing I want, and that's kind of good tips that you give here. I think that. You talk about, you know, even when you're retired or freedom, I guess is the word we want to use because retired, it sounds like a death sentence. So let's just use freedom. Would you recommend for after you hit that to find either a hobby or a side pod or, or something to keep you busy? Because I've heard of stories of people hitting freedom. They don't do anything and it kills them quicker. Can you just give me a little bit of brief on that?
1: Yeah. I think that you're exactly right. You got to keep occupied. We're not designed to be retired um, or dormancy. Retirement is a it's an antiquated term that came out of the last two generations, pretty much the baby boomers and the generation before them. And it was a, it, it resulted from, in my opinion, people that worked 40 years at a job till the age they were 65 and then got a pension check
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then got social security. And then they live for three more years because they just stopped working and they were doing nothing after that. So I think that term's a bit antiquated, you know, back in the day, people would have pensions and now that really doesn't exist for most people, which I think this is, I think this is a better, I think this can be a better deal if done right. What what I've, what I'm experiencing, because you and I know if you invest if you put 15% in your 401k, get a match, you're going to come out much more ahead and probably quicker than just waiting for a time-based, I love how you say it, a sentence, a death sentence or prison <laughs> sentence of waiting for a retirement. Um, because now I, I think our gener- my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, and like your generations, I think we get caught up and say, oh, you can't make it. Things are too hard. But got to recognize when the rules of the game change, you got to change how you play the game. Absolutely.
0: And uh, I'm obviously a millennial and obviously my, my generation gets a lot of, gets a lot of, uh, gets a lot of hate on. Um, I think for me, I've always been a hard worker. I've always wanted to figure out ways of what can I do to advance myself? What can I do to advance my loved ones? What can I do to advance my my family? And, it's I I really don't think it's a generational thing. It's just a personal thing because I've seen I've seen the generation after mine. i millennial. What, what what's the what's the generation after millennial? I can't keep track anymore. <laughs> That's fine. I think it's Gen
1: Z. I don't know what we're going to call Gen it. Z. Yes, and we're at the end of the alphabet.
0: <laughs> yes. So Gen Z, you know, I you see, I I I've seen fifteen year olds. Do a side hustle or like a side business, and I've seen them making six figures a year, and that's crazy. So it's about the drive, and I don't think it's a generational thing. It's about drive. Anybody can have the drive. um I'm going to tell you this, Tom. One of my uh, there's this kid on YouTube. It's, it's called I think um, Ryan's World. Uh-huh. It's like a, it's like an eight year old kid. I don't. I mean, he's probably not eight anymore, but his parents would record YouTube videos of him doing toy reviews and opening up the box and talking about it where he got this toy deal and all this branding deal where the kid was worth $30 million and he wasn't even 10. Like it's crazy sometimes how this works. I heard that story. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> so it's crazy there. Um, I'm going to ask you one last stock question before we get to the bonus question. Uh-huh. Now that you're in, now that we're in freedom, uh, uh-huh. What's your portfolio like? Are you still indexing it? Or are you now trying to take advantage of like the uh, income ETFs, like SCHD, JEPI,
1: like what's your strategy now? Absolutely. So yeah, where where I currently stand now, I'd say 80% of everything is still in old school index mutual funds, large cap Mm -hmm. funds, things like that. Um, 15% is in... Individual stocks, dividend producing stocks. I still have Coca-Cola. I've got Walmart. I've got Starbucks. I've got um, Realty Income, which you see me tweet about almost every week. Um, I'm forgetting something, Old Republic International, Costco. I'm forgetting something in there, but that's about 15% of it. And then the other 5% I'll put in, uh, I, I own Meta. 17 dollar meta yes i i bought it after the ipo i was still not fully dividend focused wrote it up to 375 wrote it down to 92 and i guess back up 220s today but i'll hold on to that and uh i'll I'll still take a lark with one or two percent of my portfolio i'm looking at buying um i think an ev charger i think i'm i'm I, i i'm now I'm quick. I take a while to make a decision, but quick to act when I do it. But for six months or so, I've been eyeing, I've been eyeing charge point because, you know, I think whoever wins in the EV, they're in this EV space and however it shakes out, they could win. The whole industry right now is so government favored. Those things tend to work out. So if I apply that three to five-year lens to it, I'll put a couple percent of my portfolio in there. I'll take a chance. Yeah. That's good. So you got Facebook at seventeen dollars a share. By luck. Actually, my wife has it. It's in her I got it my wow. good graces because I had lost her I had lost her some money on trades years back, so I think i I think I got out of the doghouse with a- You
0: got you got out of the doghouse, that's 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 good. Uh, that's um that was a that one was favorable. Even even when it dripped to ninety-two still you're up a lot but now we're back in the 200s you're like okay like you know we're good Uh, that's some amazing stories there tom and before i get to my bonus question thank you for just being an open book and just sharing some of these stories because we don't get to see a lot of these and you know and i appreciate you just you know just just chatting with me you know i'm a random guy on the internet in texas and i reached out to you and we made it happen so i appreciate that
1: no the pleasure is (laughs) all mine man
0: All right, so this is the bonus question, and I always ask these at the end. Uh Did you ever think that when you reach freedom that you would become a Swifty? (laughs) No. (laughs) So for context, people, for those who don't know, a Swifty is a Taylor Swift fan. (laughs) Tom Tom went to a Taylor Swift concert, is that correct?
1: I did, and that is correct.
0: Tell me about it you got to tell me tell me how how did this happen
1: You got to tell me I had the video there. the paparazzi was out they they were all over <laughs> snapping pictures I was there, so it's funny that is not my genre of music. I listen to old my genre of music is pretty much grunge rock
0: mm-hmm. um, punk
1: rock. those are a lot of my bands i listen to good eighties music and stuff now. I throw a little bit of uh old country in there and things like that. So Taylor mm-hmm. Swift is not my cup of tea, but so this was, like I said, I'm time free. My, I've got a family member back in Georgia. That's pretty well connected. They got four, they got six tickets to Taylor Swift show at the Mercedes Benz in Atlanta in mm-hmm. club seats. Mm-hmm. And if you've never, if you've ever been to a concert and club, with all the club food that's great and and drinking and definitely go. So that's how I became a Swifty uh, that day. I was like, Well, I guess I'm not working. It's not like I can't get away from the week weekend because I got a busy week coming up. <laughs> it was it was like a no brainer. Just live for the experience. And oh, it was an experience, Harris. Did you have a good time? It was a great time with my family. They took care of me and just grateful for the opportunity. And then Really, Taylor Swift's pretty cool, although it's not my favorite music. I mean, could you imagine being that big wherever you go in front of seventy thousand people? You can't even go out in public and you just stay a regular person like you don't hear you don't hear the crap coming out of her, right? Yeah. No,
0: not at all, and except for she was uh, the joke that we've've we've made on Twitter is that she was the only one who actually asked probing questions for FTX. <laughs>
1: Exactly, that's what I mean. She's just uh, kudos. You think of all the knuckleheads, politicians, and influencers. Yeah, I'll take a, I'll take the hundred million, and they didn't think twice. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Tom, as closes
0: out here, um, how can we? How can people find you? You have a Twitter, and you know you also have an Instagram, and you actually you're about to start your podcast. So, where, where can we find you?
1: Good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, if I could just close with one other thing, and I'm really. Yeah. This is create. This sometimes is a bit downcast. This this public service announcement, and it's funny. I just sent out a tweet about it, but I really want this is what I really would stress. If you're building your portfolio currently, if you you know are starting out, you got a wife, a partner, a child. um, The biggest risk you can take with your portfolio is not having term insurance in place. Protect yourself. Um, agreed person. um
0: i i agreed i can tell you that that i i never talk about it but it's in place you never know what can happen you
1: never know what can happen and i unfortunately just you know two degrees separation away from me just again you guessed the breadwinner 50 something years old died they didn't really have much insurance they just enough to bury the person three kids are left behind and a wife and a pretty high lifestyle who knows what they're going to do
0: absolutely so,
1: Where can you find the Savings Captain at? The Savings Captain. You can find me seven days a week at Savings Captain on Twitter. And if you want to see Savings Captain Unplugged, where you see me, you never know where I'm going to pop up next, the Taylor Swift concert. I'm on Instagram at the Savings Captain. And then starting Monday, we're starting up the happy – the money – Excuse me, the money happy hour, where we're going to try to make every hour a happy hour for money. So that will be where we're going to be once a week. But uh, that's who I am, Harris. And boy, man, I you really inspire me, and uh, I thank you for everything that you do. Tom,
0: I thank you for everything that you do, and for sharing your your tidbits of knowledge. Um, I'll close it out with this. You know, we're always going to reach that goal one penny at a time, and I'm going to hope that you are able to teach Radish uh, delayed gratification. She,
1: <laughs> she's getting it.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for doing the podcast here, and then we'll see you on the next one.
1: Thanks, my friend.